The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? John Le Carré is the reigning giant of delivering pure, realistic tradecraft fiction. This 2011 adaptation of his best-selling spy novel brings a heavily top-loaded cast. It stars Gary Oldman, John Hurt, Toby Jones, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hardy, and so many more. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. It's going to be hard for us to find the bad tradecraft in this version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but if there are any flaws, you better believe we're going to find them in this episode of Spies Like Us. This is going to be our second John Le Carré film. Uh, we previously did, uh, what was it, A Most Wanted Man, which was a lot of fun. We didn't talk a lot about John Le Carré that time around, though, did we? No, we just mentioned that he's kind of like a spy fiction mogul. We kind of just creamed all over the movie because of how much we loved it. <laughs> Le Carré is, is no joke. Ian Fleming, I guess, is more famous, uh, you know, popularly famous because of the James Bond thing. But uh, I think people in the know like that take spy fiction really seriously are all about Le Carré. And this is one of his this is one of his hits that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean I remember when this movie came out and everybody was talking about it. this is probably his most famous next to the spy who came in from the cold. And it's probably becoming more famous. Uh Le Carre did work for MI6 uh from nineteen sixty 1960 to nineteen sixty four. Uh he was already writing his first novels uh during that time, uh including the super famous uh The Spy Who Came In from the Cold throw some trivia out there that uh the unveiling of the the infamous mole kim philby uh which we've had opportunity to talk about several times in this podcast so far that outing of kim philby actually had something to do with lakeray's ouster from the service in 1964 what i think happened is kim philby released the names of agents and it basically compromised those agents so he he kind of had to retire Interesting. The spy who came in from the cold had already seen some major success. So, uh, you know, he wasn't too, he wasn't too worried about it. He, he just smooth switched from uh, the service into becoming a full-time novelist. Uh, he's a giant in the spy fiction trade. He still uh, writes even to this day, I think um, uh, 2019, he's, he's even got some stuff coming out. He's even so big that uh, you know, and after all this time and after this, what, like we're talking more than like 55, 55 years, more than 55 yeah. years of writing spy fiction. At this point, what's so fascinating is that some of his terms that he invented for his fiction actually found their way into actual spy parlance. Uh, I think he's credited for uh, inventing the term, the barium meal. Yeah, I think we discussed that when we talked about the company in our first episode. When we actually like talked about what a barium meal was, mm -hmm. yeah, that's 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 amazing. That's amazing when your when your fiction is so good that the that the real pros start like cribbing off of your notes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard that's kind of same with mafia films that the mob never really talked like that till the movies came out and they just thought it was so cool they started talking like that. I believe I dude I kind of believe it. And it made me think, uh, I was thinking the other day, you know, like, it feels like it would be impossible to make 
a a mob movie that um occurs after Goodfellas came out because mm. all of them would have seen Goodfellas. <laughs> Right. And they'd probably right. be quoting that movie <laughs> left and right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, the George Smiley character, who's the, the main character in uh, Tinker Taylor, uh, did show up in, in um, Carey's first few novels uh, and, and was like, I think the main character there. But those were like kind of more like detective stories that just kind of flirted around with intelligence. Uh, but uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is when he brings that character back to the foreground. He's kind of building a whole like uh, kind of like his own like universe and stable of, of different characters. The super famous version, you know, the reason I've known that title all my life, it seems, is because of uh, uh, BBC series starring Alec Guinness. That apparently was a massive hit in England. Uh, Gary Oldman, who plays the character uh, in this version of Tinker Taylor, uh, recalled that uh, he, he said that back in the day, like pretty much all of Britain just completely stopped for that one hour every Sunday night. It was like, <laughs> it was like yeah. nationwide <laughs> appointment viewing. Everybody stop what you're doing and see what's going on with uh, Alec Guinness uh, in uh, what is apparently largely hailed as one of his greatest achievements as an actor before we all got to know him as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I watched an interview with him forever ago talking about uh, researching for playing Smiley. I, I, Alec Guinness I'm talking about. And uh, he he got to meet with some real spies, and he made this whole comment about, you know, I have a question. Uh I've seen people run their finger around the brim of the glass. I've even seen people flick the side of the glass. Is it so he could see the poison? Like he was, he was super intrigued talking to oh, these right, spies. Right, like, right, right. <laughs> you could tell like he, he fanboyed a little bit in the research. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the interview I saw, um, you know, it was like a panel interview and uh, Gary Oldman and John Hurt were laughing about the idea of, you know, like, like that all like actors know of like that first rush of like, Oh my God, I get to play Hamlet. And then your next thought is, Oh fuck. I have to play Hamlet. Is <laughs> <laughs> like how he felt. He was really hesitant. He was, and that's amazing to me to think of an actor of Gary Oldman's caliber, because of course, for my generation, you know, I I'm aware of Alec Guinness, but uh, you know, Gary Oldman's, you know, a, a giant, to me and right. to to imagine him feeling threatened or not threatened but overshadowed or something or hard shoes to fill type yeah of yeah exactly <laughs> it, of of being nervous about right. tackling uh the alec guinness version of it that's that's just crazy to me um yeah i think even i i didn't follow up on all of them there's been a bunch of versions too there were some radio versions i think even anthony hopkins has taken his swing at it at, at some point oh, really yeah i think so i, I can see an anthony hopkins is smiling sure you were yeah, talking go about ahead, how go ahead. the actors kind of had cold feet trying to fill the shoes uh and and how it kind of like surprised you it's just kind of like a 
awe-inspiring experience to think that these. I mean, like the. I just wanted to talk about the cast. The cast of this film is like ridiculous. It's everyone you want. <laughs> yeah, every British actor that you want in a film is it. Like you got Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, Gary Oldman, John Hurt. Like it, and it keeps going. Like there's all kinds of people in the. It's great. You know, this movie's got. It's got a big job that it needs to tackle. It's trying to fit. Uh, an enormous long mini series into a flat two hours, which is about how long this version runs. It's reaching to try to uh, make a current version of, of what's considered like a serious classic. It's not only been done on screen before, but also, you know, still super famous in the on page canon. I think what our main job is going to be here on uh, on the tradecraft element is to, you know, see if there's any places where they kind of sacrifice the the actual realistic tradecraft for the sake of just trying to squeeze all these events in. I'm ready. Let's hit it. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. Now, again, the George Smiley character in the in his first appearance in the very early novels um was uh, a detective more of a detective than a spy um and this indeed does it it fits to me the the general mold of a detective story uh by which i mean like most of the most interesting stuff is stuff that happened before the events that we're seeing in the film and our main character needs to uh kind of uh, unearth uh, and 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 put the pieces together of, of what actually happened. We're going to kind of do it sort of chronologically in, in these kind of cases. And there's some time jumps in this movie, which I found a bit hard to follow. Uh, I'll freely admit, I don't think I would have been able to completely follow this film on, on the first pass unless I had had Wiki open on my phone to kind of help me keep track of characters and stuff. But uh, I think we can simplify it down into there's um, three, there's basically three time periods uh, that we're looking at here. There's the John Hurt control era. And, and that was first, that was the oldest era. And that was when um, George Smiley was on the force John John Hurt was uh, the head of MI6, codename Control, and at a certain point they get outed, and uh, a guy named um, uh, Percy Percy Allen, uh, codename Forehead, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, 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 Mister Mister Toby, you're an amazing actor. Um, but uh, yeah, when when he has like his his period, and then and then there's the final period, which is like the contemporaneous part of the film, and that's where George Smiley gets like brought back in to investigate basically like the shit that happened between when he left and when he came back, but also to investigate some of that stuff that happened that he maybe didn't know about, like even before uh, Control got forced out. So basically three, three periods of time and we'll try to, we'll try to keep those straight. The big operation that runs throughout like all three time periods is something called witchcraft. Uh, witchcraft is an op that's meant to funnel 
information from a Soviet source. Basically, Percy is uh, on top of this operation, mainly runs it, but he's got some uh, compatriots, uh, which are sometimes referred to in the film dismissively by, by John Hurt as, you know, Percy's cabal. Um, but we'll keep using that term too, to, to reference uh, the guys that are running witchcraft along with Percy. The, the source that they have, that they're getting the information from is um, a high ranking Soviet official named Polyakov. Now witchcraft was running during the John Hurt control era, which was something that John Hurt was quite annoyed by uh, because it was kind of like Percy making a power play sort of behind his back. Right. right? But uh, Percy had also kind of gone around his back and gotten, I don't know, some kind of approval from. uh, Percy went behind my back, (laughs) all of our backs all by himself. And the source is being kept secret. (laughs) during the second period that's when percy actually replaces john hurt as control and witchcraft goes into kind of a higher gear in the final uh contemporaneous uh part of the movie where where george smiley is doing his operation witchcraft is still going on and is also like kind of aiming to um you you describe it what what's the final phase of witchcraft with the cia the the idea is with witchcraft uh, garnishing so much like premier intelligence that MI6 can now go to their CIA compatriots and start trading in intelligence and gaining CIA intelligence and providing what they're getting from the Russians. Right. So, I mean, you know, the CIA and MI6 are ostensibly on the same side, but I guess there's certain uh, things that, you know, the CIA is not necessarily uh, sharing freely with MI6. Uh, Percy thinks that the witchcraft intelligence is good enough to trade with the CIA, right? This was his big stepping stone. Uh, And and as he ascends to the throne, he kind of kicks out all the dissidents that are like Team John Hurt and only supporting like people that are down for Team Percy. Right. For for Percy, witchcraft isn't just an operation – uh, it's, it's his per, it seems to be like his personal, uh, vehicle to, for his ambition. And that makes him blind to some certain things. Uh, you know, you just mentioned like, you know, he kind of does a, a purge once he gets mm-hmm. into power, uh, including of just, you know, just seems like anybody that raised questions about witchcraft. I'm going to call that my number three worst tradecraft of the movie. Failing to separate his own personal interest in the success of the operation from how the operation is actually working out. So now that's that's witchcraft on its face. Right. <laughs> but. <laughs> but. but. <laughs> well, it it turns out. The real purpose of witchcraft, witchcraft was actually fed to MI6, and the real purpose of witchcraft is the brainchild of Carla, and spoiler alert, Bill the Taylor, played by Colin Firth, who who turns out to be the mole. Sorry to spoil it if you haven't seen the movie, but uh, the the real purpose of this op is for the Russians to get intelligence from their mole and to pass messages back. Why this is such a great cover is because all of the heads of the circus are going and are involved in witchcraft 
passing information between the Russians. So it's actually a great, like kind of, uh, uh, flooding the possible suspects because everybody's kind of involved in it. And it's like an official op. You're right. It seems to me that the, the real kind of genius of witchcraft is that so many people are involved and it's all kind of above board, like, uh, to an extent it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not an op. It's an, it's an operation running in plain sight. Um, and all four of the, of the guys that, uh, you know, Percy and his, and his three compatriots, all of them are feeding Polyakov intelligence, but all of them think that they're just feeding Polyakov fake intelligence, but one or of like them, not valuable or not super valuable or something like they call it chicken feed, chicken feed. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, they, they refer to the bullshit intelligence as chicken feed. And sometimes there's gold dust, you know, gold dust is the good <laughs> stuff. And, right. and, and solid gold nuggets is like the real stuff. Right. Um, so it's, it's great cover for bill because he's not the only one that's feeding the Soviets information. It's just that he's the only one feeding them actual information, which is great cover and plus spy points for him. But it kind of feels also like it, it might be one of those cases where it feels like maybe plus spy points for one side, minus spy points for the other, because I've, I feel like I have to mention this lack of accountability when you have multiple agents cleared to manage an asset is something that maybe really shouldn't happen in real life. Right. <laughs> maybe it should be kind of like siloed or I think is what it's called. Fragmented. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Siloed run through a single channel, you know, like, um, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, it feels like there's a, a protocol that should be in place that would have prevented bill from being able to pull this off in the way he does. Uh, you know, witchcraft is an operation that's running in, in opposite. It's running in reverse of what Percy thinks it's doing. You know, right. you think it's your op. It's actually the enemy's op that's running it yeah. on, on you. <laughs> yeah. And Bill being involved, I have a theory. I don't think it's entirely accidental. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned before that, like, witchcraft just kind of fell into Percy's lap. But it seems to me that, you know, the Carla mastermind probably, like, through Bill probably helped set up witchcraft and place it in Percy's way in the first place. You know, like it could have been Bill that uh, brought these things to Percy's attention. It could even be maybe Bill's idea, again, just channeling Carla, uh, with this whole idea of trading the witchcraft information for CIA secrets. And I feel like, uh, you know, Bill is the is the guy able to to see Percy as uh you know having this flaw of ambition to where instead of like Bill bringing this these ideas to the table he could just kind of whisper them to Percy and Percy would be like oh fuck yeah let's do that and and even <laughs> kind of let always let Percy think that these were his own ideas you know that he can take credit for yeah, and and we, if we, that's true, oh. if that's true, which I think it is, that yeah. would be my best tradecraft of the movie, um, is is using this other guy as as cover. 
Um, you know, he also will also see uh, later uh, ways in which Bill, when he needs to make a move, like he uses other people as as cover as well. He's always keeping one step of separation between himself and his um, and his actions. That's good tradecraft. Yeah, I completely agree that he he does keep like a degree of separation. That's why I think Bill didn't directly set up uh, witchcraft, uh, considering. His character, he's always kind of in the background. And I think it would be too obvious that Bill shows up to Percy and like, hey, here's this op called witchcraft. Hey, Percy, you're uh, kind of ignored. Why don't you become control? You know, I, I think Carla definitely like set this whole mastermind plan in emotion. And I think uh, Bill definitely like uh, wingmanned a lot of that. Uh, but I, I don't think the witch, the, the witchcraft stuff came directly through Bill, um, or even the idea of, uh, Percy, you know, ascending to the throne. I, I think, I think, uh, Bill would have like winked and elbowed a little bit with Percy, but because he's always keeping one degree of separation, I think it'd be too obvious if he was like the direct cause for this whole thing. And, and, and like, I think Percy quote unquote on his own had to stumble on it. And and I definitely think Carla is the one that quote unquote helped Percy stumble on it, but we don't get to see like how that played out. I think that would be really interesting to watch. Sure. Well, I always assume that all of Bill's moves are basically, uh, you know, uh, you know, that he's, uh, a, the, the puppet and not exactly the puppet because he's very skilled. He's very talented. Yeah. But well, that's uh, why I like to kind of describe him as a wingman. But like he wingmans everything Carla does and then just supplies him with good information. Or that Carla is the chess player and and, and Bill is the chess piece is, is oh, how, is how yeah. I like to think about it. And right. uh, it, it goes, you know, it, it goes even to the depth of uh, Carla having sussed out one of George Smiley's flaws, uh, which is basically his... Uh, kind of sort of impotence and and failed marriage that uh is the one that gives bill the idea to uh initiate an affair with ann's wife or sorry with ann who is george smiley's Smiley's wife wife. yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um and and that's um and that's specifically meant and is successful at uh clouding smiley's judgment of him you know, um, because Bill doesn't keep it entirely secret. Uh, it's a reason for Smiley's judgment of Bill to be clouded. Like you're thinking of this guy as this asshole that's, uh, you know, having an affair with your wife. And maybe right. that maybe that doesn't seem like the the play that an enemy mole would make it would be true. Right, like, yeah. <laughs> put, put that shit in your face as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll give like, I'll give plus five points for for both Carla and Bill on that yeah. one. You know, it's little things like that that really make the whole op come to to play. You know, like like when uh, the 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 naval report that Percy brings in for the first time, like Bill's sitting there reading it intently. He's even like, "Oh, you know, this is pretty ridiculous. You know, maybe so ridiculous it, it could be true." You know, like like he's just casually softballing all this stuff. Everything is so like smooth and well played from Bill. Like I really enjoy watching like 
that whole game. And uh, Bill is instrumental in betraying a plot by John Hurt that might have uncovered him. He masterfully handled the failure of that operation into uh, setting the scene for John Hurt to be forced out of his job and for right. Percy to take over. And I think Bill considers, I think Bill regards Percy as his puppet. Uh, so, you know, getting your guy that you're massaging his ego uh, into this right. position of power, <laughs> like right. uh, paves the way for the further advancement of, of witchcraft. And that's also like huge spy point. Tell us about that operation. There's a bad apple, Jim. Uh, yeah, that's how, that's how it starts out. We, we have this character, Jim, who's played by Mark Strong, another one to add to the all-star cast. Um, and we have John Hurt explaining there's a mole in the circus. And he's been given word that there's someone at the Hungary, uh, somewhere in Hungary that wants to defect, that knows the, the identity of this mole. Control decides that he can trust Jim and, and only Jim doesn't want to talk to anybody else to go out and find out the identity of this mole. However, uh, something went wrong. Jim is, is shot by a Russian agent, uh, which severely is another thing. This is what really, really, uh, you know, is, is the straw that breaks the camel for Control's career because this, this operation was so botched uh, there. And on top of his whole witch hunt and paranoia, he was easily forced out. Um, and that's pretty much what you need to know about the hungry op. I'm not exactly clear how Mark Strong getting killed, you know, supposedly killed in Hungary. We're going to find out that he actually survived. Uh, right. But at the moment when you're watching the movie, you know, it looks like he's dead. I'm not sure how that is actually a reason to force control out. It's like, oh, I had a suspicion uh, and the agent I sent in got to, to follow up on that suspicion got killed. That seems like, you know, you guys should be giving me plus five points, not fucking telling me to retire. You right. know, maybe, maybe yeah. it's, it's like, maybe I'm onto something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly somebody's trying to cover their tracks. We yeah. never, we never did find out exactly why control chose Mark Strong for this mission. We never really find out what Mark Strong's like position in the power structure is, but I, I feel like, I feel like maybe uh, John Hurt like reached a couple levels down, you know, to 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 use uh, the Mark Strong Jim character because you know he wasn't you really plugged in on the high level stuff. Right. I mean, you know, we could kind of infer because you know we find out that uh, Jim is a man of duty. And duty means everything to him. I, I, you can make an inference that control saw that in him, but I think I think you pointed out something really good that control reached levels down to find someone because he he knew the mole. Well, this is a good segue into the code names. He knew the mole was one of five people, and those five people were the heads of the circus. Control being in the office, and now there's five men in front of him on the t at the table every day at a very high level, like war room meeting type of place. That's the mole. And um, when, when he sends Jim on the uh, to Hungary, he gives him these code names specifically because when Jim finds out the identity of the mole, he doesn't want to come back and contact John 
who's probably to, to control it, who's probably being listened to all over the place and everybody's being followed and you can't trust anybody screaming out, Hey, by the way, it's bill, you know, like, so we, we get the code names. We get, uh, Percy is Tinker. Uh, bill is the tailor. Um, that, that guy's name. I still don't know his name. The soldier. Siren Hines. Right. A soldier. Toby Esterhouse is going to be poor man. I think what you had pointed out of him reaching down levels is trying to really gain control of the situation because he can't trust anybody. Um, and, you know, Jim asks, well, who's the fifth? And he is, he doesn't even give a code name for Smiley because George Smiley is his right-hand man. And that would be like pretty much hit the end of his world if Smiley, it turns out to be the mole. <laughs> There's one reason that we know uh, uh, how Mark Strong gets shot in Hungary. Uh, he was uh, a dumbass and told his best friend about it, uh, That's which right. is massive minus spy points. And it's the, the kind of spy points that gets you shot in the back in Hungary, sir. He completely goes against Control's rules for this op. When Control calls you to his house to talk to you directly, and of course, you know, say it with me, don't trust anyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's always some version of like, you won't know who you can trust, you know, don't trust right. anyone, uh, you right. know, in, in spy movies. You don't fucking tell anyone. And that's why it makes both of our uh, minus spy points and our worst tradecraft of the movie. Uh, Absolutely. Jim, Jim telling Bill about the operation. That's it's it's so bad that this movie kind of entirely hangs around that concept of that one <laughs> mistake because the mistake right. is so egregious. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. It's really hard to tell if the hungry op was entirely planned by Carla or if Jim telling Bill led to Carla finding out about the op and they intercepted the op before it could happen. I mean, there's two reasons to interrupt this op. First of all, is to not get your mole found out, right? Right. right if, you, exactly. if you accomplish that, you've accomplished something. You know, and, you know, because we never find out exactly, like, you know, who teased this uh, Hungarian uh, defector to control in the first place. But our idea is that, that, that this actually was, like, a whole super mastermind play to drag control out and to get him ousted. I, I like to believe that Carla set the whole thing up because he's really portrayed as this huge mastermind. Yeah, me too. And, and he was just like throwing a nugget out to control to really lure him in, especially since he's on like such a paranoia binge. It's this light at the end of the tunnel for uh control, but it, it could be that, there really was someone trying to defect and Jim making the worst decision ever botched the whole thing, got himself shot. Um, it's really not clear in the film and you probably could get more from the book or the show. Uh, but regardless, the botch op really damaged the integrity of MI6 and even further controls clout. So the, this is kind of what sets up, I guess the mess for Smiley to discover and investigate. So when we, we talk about this as a botched op, it's actually botched on both sides. Uh, let's, let's not forget to give some minus spy points for uh, Mr. Gunslinger waiter. 
Your your career in espionage is over. Not only do you sweat like a motherfucker when you're like Mm. pouring tea, you've got like your your forehead sweat like just pouring onto the table, uh, which Mark Strong misses. Why was the waiter even armed in the first place? Our guy that's kind of like ostensibly in charge of the op is like really mad at the waiter for fucking this up. He says like, we wanted him alive! Kind of suggests that the plan... Uh, on the Soviet side was to capture Mark Strong, but I'm not sure for what end that would have done. I mean, since Carla is supposed to be a mastermind, I'm sure it had some aim to it, but I also have to say, wouldn't it just been better to just feed Mark Strong some bullshit that, you know, like when you have, you know, when you, when you have, you know, somebody on the hook, you know, that's, that's eager to get some information from you, you don't capture them. You you usually just feed them some very interesting bullshit. Um, but that's not what they did. As a result of the botched operation, Control does get forced out. And Bill masterfully takes control of the situation and arranges to not put himself in power, but to put his little puppet chess piece Percy into power. The broad question, which which we can't answer right now, is whether or not that was part of the entire master plan. I like to think so. As a fan of the movie, I just really want to believe that Carla planned the whole thing, like, you know, super 3D chess or something, or 4D chess, you know. And especially after the whole op gets botched, the news headline was that Jim tried to abduct a Hungarian official. It wasn't even that he was trying to find out a mole. They suppressed the entire idea of a mole's existence and that Jim was the defector trying to abduct a hung or, or maybe MI6 was trying to abduct the Hungarian official, which diplomatically makes all the politicians look terrible. You know, so it, there's so many pieces to this event that plays in favor of team Russia Um it, 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 and that's what I like about John Le Carre stories in the first place. The the villains generally are either have a huge advantage or they gain overwhelming advantages. And it looks like the good guys are never going to win. And they, they, they just barely squeeze through with a win. Control does not deal with this well. Uh, he just basically kind of goes into a sort of a catatonic state uh, and, right. and doesn't... <laughs> doesn't react which is the opening that lets bill uh kind of get in there and and take control of the situation um is it minus five points for control there uh i'm I'm not sure maybe maybe he indeed was kind of like starting to i don't know become a little uh soft in the head or or something um what do, what do you think well i mean yeah i mean like when you have when you're at that level you i mean he's in charge of like british intelligence and the the people closest to you, one of them is a Judas. And and he already figured out that there had to be a mole. So he's, you know, uh, I guess collecting his pieces as fast as he can so he could figure out who the mole is and get him out. And he just can't win. And and I think this, this that's why I said, you know, when, when the idea of someone having the identity being handed to him it was kind of a light at the end of the tunnel for him he was at his wits end and i think this might have been the last card in his deck and and he just was defeated i I, this 
this reminds me of No Country for Old Men, where like you, you, at the end of the film, you just see like a completely defeated Tommy Lee Jones, and and I think Control was in a similar situation, and he just he he just gave up, and you know, and he dies like shortly thereafter. It's 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 a really sad situation for a person in his position and and a good man. I'd be like. I mean, just from the shots of what we get of of John Hurt's character, I, I would I would love to serve under someone like him. Yeah, he's even he's a, even he's, even when he's drunk and yelling at you about the the punch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I'm glad you brought that up. You penny pinching bastard! It'd take us hours to get on this monkey piss or whatever. You know, it was great. Our first couple watches, it was hard for me to spot bad tradecraft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, Todd kind of threw that out as a joke that uh, skimping on the punch recipe. And so I'm, I'm going to make that my number three, because it was actually Todd that spotted a lot uh, more of bad tradecraft than I did. So my number three worst tradecraft is, is Percy not following the punch recipe. <laughs> I, I love that scene. That was so much fun. Uh, we established Bill uh, steps in, and and takes control of the situation, including, by the way, uh, immediately wanting to clean out Mark Strong's apartment. And and we get to see there that he it should have been the biggest reddest flag in all of movie dumb. When <laughs> the one thing we see him do is make sure that he, he you know he finds a picture of him and uh, this is Bill, Bill finding a picture of him and Jim together with their arms around each other uh right. which uh you know connie uh you know uh describes later to george smiley during his investigation as uh you know just how how close of friends they were and uh describing them as you know the inseparables and just seeing him like slip that picture i should i should have known right there i shouldn't right i think I, <laughs> I don't really have a head for that though. I I generally I'm a kind of a passive movie watcher in 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 movie mystery kind of situations. I just kind of go with uh, the flow and at the end when they reveal who the thing was, you know, the then I'm like, "Oh, okay." You know, like you said the inseparables or like besties or whatever. So, as an audience watcher, you're not going to pick it up at least not on the first round, you know, it's like, "Oh, he's being sentimental." Oh, there's a story here. But, you know, it's that friendship that leads Bill into uh, saving Jim's life. Because when the Russians have him, I I think Bill was the one that convinced uh, Carla to let Jim go. Which is interesting. And let's let's just remind the audience again. Everyone else thinks that Mark Strong is dead. Um, but you know, he's not dead. He actually did survive and, and he gets captured and it's true. Like Bill seemingly for no other reason than friendship does intervene to arrange for Mark Strong to get traded back. Um, but he does it in such a way where, uh, uh, he doesn't just want Mark Strong to be traded back. He wants Mark Strong to be traded back and also like taken off the board. Uh, be kept silent and let everyone else continue to think that he's dead. And um, he does that. uh, He arranges that through Esther house, by the way. So again, uh, that thing I talked about, uh, about being like, you know, good trade craft is the way bill always keeps a level of separation 
between what he's doing and what he needs to accomplish. Um, and I think it would be, I, I feel very mean uh, giving minus spy points for this minor act of friendship. I mean, you just sold your, you just sold your best friend out and got him shot in Hungary. Um, the least you could do is like kind of intervene and say, well, don't, don't kill him. Like let him live. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, that, that act of friendship does lead eventually to Bill getting exposed and killed so here you go buddy by jim yeah well yeah (laughs) here's 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 your minus spy points um intervening to uh trade jim back and that has to be my my number two worst trade craft in for a penny in for a pound if you're gonna sell your best friend out um you gotta go you gotta go whole hog or or you're gonna get shot in the head at the end of the movie right you gotta Keep on, you know, whatever your, uh, uh, you know, strategy is going. You can't half-ass it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although, who knows, too? Like, uh, and then I'm only just now for the first time wondering, like, well, why does Carla even uh, capitulate on that point? Like, I I feel like we're meant to think of Carla as this uh, Soviet spy master three-dimensional chess player that, that probably wouldn't have let that slide unless it fit some of his aims. We never get any support for that claim. So I guess I'm going to give some minus five points for Carla as well. Well, there's a couple of reasons he might've done that. Let's hear him. He, he might, he, well, he might not, you know, it might've upset Bill too much and Bill might've, he might've lost Bill as an asset. Um, and I, then, I, that's I, a good one. That's a good one. And then, and then another thing is, uh, you know, he uses Jim to like, like poke at Smiley later. You know, he's the one that shows off the lighter and is asking a bunch of questions about Smiley. And so it could have been just a little poke at Smiley, like, ha ha, I'm such a mastermind and you're going to fall just like control, dude. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's plus ego points. That's plus, yeah. that's <laughs> right. That's plus that's plus villain points for you, but it can't be plus spy points to me. No, no. I, I think the most realistic reason would be keeping Bill as an asset and like just the, the shade to Smiley would be like a cherry on top. But at this position, the Russians are looking pretty strong. And uh, with this whole Hungary op, they've they pretty much got control of the situation. They've, Everything. They've got everything's coming up roses in moscow yeah (laughs) right uh you know everything would have gone swimmingly according to plan except for ricky tar this is our tom hardy character yeah he's he's a fun one i i feel like uh this is also true of detective stories that um you know, like uh, the villainous plan, like it might have a whole bunch of steps. And obviously there were some things that didn't go entirely according to plan. And our detective main character, George Smiley, is going to have to, you know, figure all this out. But there's always like just one little loose thread that is the thing that kind of like even triggers uh, the investigation in the first place. Uh, well, 
Ricky Tar is stationed. He, well, he's what he describes himself as a scalp hunter. But by the way, there's actually a glossary on Wikipedia, and there's a nice article from the BBC of uh, some of the uh, spy jargon that you would need to know watching this movie or reading the book. And scalp hunters are the people that do your dirty work, like murders or theft or robbery, blackmailing, you know, kind of like the guys that just like uh, clean things up for you. And that that is Tom Hardy's character, Ricky Tarr. MI6 does have a guy in place, and that guy has communicated to MI6 that he thinks he spots uh, someone that uh, you might be able to get your screws into, right? Mm -hmm. You're always on the lookout for, on the enemy side, you're looking for apparently like uh, people that drink too much, uh, people Uh that complain about their jobs, uh, Mm -hmm. people that just have personal issues, maybe gambling debts. And uh, mm-hmm. often, especially in the uh, 20th century, unfortunately, like uh, homosexuality, just anything about them that is like kind of a weak link, like maybe you can leverage that into, you know, like, hey, talk to me, tell me about your troubles, you know, or, or you, could do, <laughs> you, you could do the harder thing, you know, you could, you could go hard, more hardline on them. It's like, I got some dirt on you and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to spill it unless you play ball. See? Right. <laughs> well, that's the game. Also, everyone knows that's the game. So sometimes you might go out and pretend to be vulnerable. That's what the term co-trailing means is maybe you uh, pretend to drink too much. You pretend that you're dissatisfied with your job. Yeah, so, that's exactly what Boris does. He, he, he pretends to be drunker than he is, is, I think, the way Ricky described it. According to Ricky, he takes one look at that guy and says, I immediately knew that I had wasted a trip. There's no way right. this, this guy <laughs> is totally like just coat trailing like crazy, uh, you know, meaning that the guy is actually a Soviet agent and not just an, an asset. I love that that was explained in this movie. I had never thought of the concept before. It makes perfect fucking sense to me. It's my best right. tradecraft number three. Um, just, just having that concept, um, brought up. However, Ricky does kind of spot maybe another weak link that, uh, Boris hadn't exactly planned. Or did he? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which is this horrible treatment of his wife, Irina. Maybe Irina's got a weak link here. He pretends to be a businessman on a holiday and they have like a fun holiday romance, but she's the one that lets out the let lets out of the bag that she knows who he is and she knows all about control and the circus and that she wants to affect to the less. That, that's why Todd and I were thinking she might've been co-trailing a little bit too. Either way, we're going to give it plus five points for him for seeing the opportunity and for her for right. whether or not she planned the opportunity. She takes advantage of it because she does, she does have some valuable information and Ricky is the guy uh, that can uh, maybe arrange for her to be able to trade that information for a new life in the West. The problem is even though we applaud Ricky for taking this initiative and spotting this opportunity, he gets some minus five points for uh, running uh, like kind of his own op on his own initiative and without informing his handler 
we'll find out later cumberbatch was his handler ricky that's how you get cumber punched in the face later in the movie <laughs> and yeah he went he went over cumberbatch's head and went straight to the circus and this is this is gonna make my worst tradecraft number two uh, number one there's a protocol in place for a reason and unless you have reason to not trust cumberbatch there shouldn't be any reason for you to skip the protocol or the chain of command in this point but you know for his character it's very believable you know he feels like a low-level scalp hunter and he wanted to bring this in and you know maybe climb the ladder himself <clears throat> but what really bugs me about this the most is he's received information that someone at the top of the circus is a mole. And what does he do? He contacts the top of the circus to tell him mm-hmm. that, that his information that someone in the top of the circus is a mole. So it's a bad move, it's Ricky. Definitely how you get cumber punched. Lake Corée is uh, trying to tell us about in this novel about how ambition clouds judgment uh, ricky seems to feel at least feel like he's like the very bottom of the barrel and he's right. just he's he's just got his hook into a shark you know he's he is what he feels like you know he skipped the minnow phase and the barracuda phase and he's <laughs> literally got his hooks into a shark which could be huge for him and maybe people will take him seriously you know, yeah. if he brings this in on his own, but when he's telling this to George Smiley, it's it's a super micro expression, but you can see that Smiley recognizes that was the mistake. Yeah, and and I think that's when he realizes he can trust Ricky's story too. That, that was actually a really cool scene. Probably true. That's a Smiley. good. That's a great point. Yeah, you, you know, know he it, he he gets it. You know, Smiley Smiley used to be Ricky at some point, I right, guess. Right. It's pretty awful. I mean, she Irina specifically made you made Ricky promise not to give details. You were just supposed to say you had your hooks in a guy that wanted to come over, not to not to report back that you had information about info on a double agent, because that's gonna raise holy hell at the top level of the circus. And if the mole is at the top level of the circus, she's fucked. She does end up fucked. And so does our, uh, I guess, radio operator. He was the station head. Um, Tufty, but, yeah. you know, but Ricky, Ricky didn't, Ricky thought he was just like kind of a lame ass drunk. And that's also like part of why Ricky like, just felt like, you know, going around him instead of through right. him. But that's right. also it's it's also bad. It didn't work out well. Tufty was one of those type of guys, just kind of drunk all the time, and just showed up, you know, nine to five, you know, just to get his paycheck. Mm-hmm. And so Ricky's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to the top. <laughs> and the super the super important part uh, for our purposes of the whole Ricky Tara story is that when he did report that he had like the super you know the super gold nugget right to the Mm -hmm. top of the circus all he got back was uh it just said we read you and and just the the lack of response was Mm -hmm. you know the silence was deafening you know because all these radio messages they're they're not they're not sent through voice they're they're uh you know they're teletyping like codes to each other and since tufty was supposed to be the actual radio operator 
we can see that the Russians just assumed that it was him, that it was Tufty that sent the message, and so Tufty needed to die. Now, Ricky was actually the guy that sent the message, so now Ricky realizes, oh, fuck. And then, of course, Irina gets abducted as well. So now Ricky is completely realizes he's blown everything, does manage to get back to London, and he calls... um, you got oh, buttered toast guy. Buttered yeah. toast guy, right? Yeah. No, the 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 civil servant or diplomat or whatever. He, I don't even know if we find out what his position is, but the, he's the guy that completely dismisses Percy, and he's like talking about how the image of MI six has ruined the image of the nation. And he's sitting in this meeting with like Percy, and I forgot who else was in the room. But he's just sitting there buttering his toast, like all dismissive. You know, you know, once you get to that level, you're going to be really good at butter and toast and dismissing people. The Foley artist in that scene was just fucking off the hook. <laughs> but Ricky gets to London somehow and he calls Butter Toast Guy and he says, I got to talk to someone. Uh, you can't tell anybody at MI6 except Cumberbatch. That phone call is what triggers the investigation. This is the story is Smiley is called upon by buttered toast guy to come out of retirement to investigate the possibility of a mole. Let's cut it here. Uh, At its heart, Tinker Tailor is a detective story. And in detective stories, a lot of the really important stuff happens before the detective character actually takes the stage. We're much more interested in tradecraft than narrative on this podcast, so that's why we've laid out pretty much everything that happened before George Smiley was tasked to discover what the hell is going on here. Uh, When we come back in part two, that's the part where we'll follow Smiley along on his path to the discovery and resolution of those facts. And as always, we'll have our final verdict on the tradecraft portrayed by the film's characters. As always, the best way to make sure you don't miss out on that is to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Google, or your favorite podcast app. Also, you can find updates on our Facebook page or website, spieslikeus.net. And please, if you can help us out, give us some feedback by rating us and leaving us comments. We're always trying to improve the show and your thoughts would be a big help. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.